Good morning, everyone. It's good to be able to worship together, to gather together. Special welcome to anyone who may be new here among us. You're especially welcome. Um, and also welcome to those that are participating with us uh, through uh, the internet, so uh, on live, live streaming. Uh, just some notices as we begin. Uh, this evening uh, is, uh, there's going to be a united service at St Mary's Church uh, in, in the town centre, uh, led by the Methodists. Uh, this is because we're in the middle of the week of prayer for Christian unity. And so all are welcome to that at six o'clock uh, at St Mary's. Uh, please um, also take note of um, the family worker prayer, or prayer for a family worker, that's on Saturday the 27th um, at 10 o'clock here, so please uh, come and participate in that. And Alpha is beginning on Friday the 2nd of February, uh, that's at Tim and Sue's home. Um, if you would like to come and um, bring a friend, uh, then please uh, register via the, either the office or the website. And that's in the evening on Friday the 2nd of February and then uh, I think about eight, eight weeks um, uh, course, Alpha course. <clears throat> Some uh, pastoral news. Um, many of you will know, of course, uh, Clive Reed. Uh, Clive died in his sleep peacefully uh, at uh, Oak Hill House in the early hours of Tuesday morning this week. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Please continue to hold Joan, Reed and the, the family in your prayers at this time. And let's, let's pray for them now. Father, we want to give you thanks for your goodness and grace towards us in sharing, being able to share our lives with Clive. We thank you for the gift that he has been to us as a fellowship. We thank you for his love for you, his love for his family, his love for his fellowship. And we give you thanks that he is with you. But Lord, we pray for his family in these days and ask that you administer to Joan and the rest of the family your comfort, your peace, your strength, your grace in these days. Family, friends and fellowship, we give you thanks for your goodness to us and we give you thanks and praise for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that death is defeated and life in all its fullness has come through him. Amen. Today, during the service, we're going to be looking at another one of the cardinal virtues, um, self Control, and in particular we're going to be looking at a passage in Titus. As our call to worship, some words from Psalm 32 verse 11. Rejoice 
in the Lord. And be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. We are able to sing, to praise, to lift our voices in praise and thanksgiving because our God is good to us and our God is full of grace towards us. So let's stand and sing. Praise is rising. So I'm going to give you a choice uh, for some fruit. 
you can take home one of these. Okay, they're both apples. Okay. Do you like apples? Not particularly. <laughs> give it to Grandad or something, yeah. So, okay, we have... We have a lovely, juicy apple. Fresh, straight out of the fridge. Right. right? How long is the other one that's out in the garden? And uh, yes, so not very, well, probably juicy as well, but not in a good way. Um, and uh, that's uh, an apple as well. But you, you have free choice which one you would like to take away and either eat or give to someone. Well, maybe, yeah, eat, I think. <laughs> I think I'll take the one that won't kill me. Take the one that won't kill you. Well, you're very welcome to it. Okay, very good. Yeah, thank you. Give them a round of applause. Okay. So, who here would have made the same choice? Who here, because you like to be awkward, would make the other choice? We, we, we... A lot of times we know what's good for us and uh, we know that something that looks like that, you may not be able to see it at the back, I can even smell it here, Some, something like that you know is not going to go down easily, it's not going to, it's not going to, uh, it's going to taste bad, it's maybe going to make your stomach uh, feel queasy, you may even be ill uh, from eating it. So tell me what is this apple? fit for? Compost. compost. So we chuck it in the compost because, uh, or actually, huh? New life. New life, as in planted. Okay, yes, yeah, so it, may, it may grow, it may grow. So even, even this has the potential. But we would perhaps recycle this, put it in the, in the compost and um, uh, it can give nutrients uh, to the garden. But we wouldn't eat it. You know, the Holy Spirit brings about good fruit in our lives. And Jesus speaks about fruit. This is what he said. Jesus said, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut off, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them or you will know them. By their fruits, you will know them. And he previously had been speaking about those that were claiming to speak the word of God, but actually were leading the people astray. By their fruit, you will know them. And as I said before, the Apostle Paul speaks or writes about the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. If you look around hidden under some of your seats, there is part of the fruit of the Spirit, one of those words I just mentioned. 
I wonder if you find one whether you'd be able to bring it up or give it to someone to bring up and we'll just display them as a, as a reminder. I'm not going to probably be able to get them in the right order. How many of them should there be? Nine. There should be nine. Okay, nine. So if you stick them on a blue tack, if you're tall enough or I can help you stick them on the blue tack. Lovely. Thank you very much. We'll stick that one up there, shall we? Push nice and hard. That's it. Oh, well done. Yeah, very good. Well done. Good try. Very good. Gentleness. That's it. That's all right. I can reach. I can reach. Just in. Just. Just about. Lovely. Thank you very much. So, in a sense, here it doesn't matter which way, which order we have them in, because together they're, they're that fruit of the Holy Spirit. You could think of it as a cluster of fruit, really, a, um, a, a fruit cocktail, a, uh, a, a bowl of fruit that is produced in our lives and we simply bear. We, it comes off of us, as it were, it's given away from us by the, the Spirit of God. We're going to um, pray together and I'd like us together, when I say Help us to bear the good fruit of, and then I say one of these, love, joy, peace, and so on. I'd like us together to respond by saying, by our fruit, we shall be known. By our fruit, we shall be known. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have sent your Holy Spirit into the lives of those receiving Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Help us to bear the good fruit of love. By our fruit we shall be known. Help us to bear the good fruit of joy. By our fruit we shall be known. Help us to bear the good fruit of peace. By our fruit we shall be known. Help us to bear the good fruit of patience. By our fruit we shall be known. Help us to bear the good fruit of kindness. By our fruit we shall be known. Help us to bear the good fruit of goodness. By our fruit we shall be known. Help us to bear the good fruit of faithfulness. By our fruit we shall be known. Help us to bear the good fruit of gentleness. By our fruit we shall be known. Help us to bear the good fruit of self-control. By our fruit we shall be known. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so remember this. By our fruit as church, by each of our fruits as individuals, we shall be known by those around and about us. We're going to sing together, uh, in my wrestling, uh, acknowledging the fact that the Christian life is not an easy life. 
and there are many times of trial and temptation, and yet our God promises to be with us, to strengthen us, to help us, and to walk with us through whatever we face in my wrestling, otherwise known as my lighthouse.
to us as a fellowship and to families. We pray for each one of them, pray for their leaders and helpers as they go into BRBK and ask that you will bless them and into crash and ask that you'll be with them and that you would lead them in your ways and may they experience your goodness and grace in these days. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we come to prayer, I'm reminded of that line from the hymn, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Will you join me? Lord, we delight in a moment in our imagination to sit at your feet and allow your Holy Spirit to direct our minds to the things of yourself and your purposes for mankind and your creation. Thank you that in a world so much in so much toil and turmoil, we may take out an hour exclusively to seek to communicate with you in our praises, in our thanks, through the scriptures and teaching to seek your way for us. Lord, the events of recent weeks make us embarrassed to recognise that we are part of a society so marred by sin. We are part of an economic system where the profits of an organisation were thought to override the well-being of those employed in it. Some have known this for years but did not protest enough. Lord, we pray that wrongs may now be quickly righted and deep hurts healed and justice established. Our Parliament, in our name, has spent hours cobbling together a shoddy scheme concerning would-be immigrants to avoid dealing with the injustices of a sinful world system. Lord, give voice to leaders with integrity and vision and compassion. Huge resources and the creative powers of mankind have been directed towards the destruction of lives and homes, businesses and infrastructure in many parts of the world. And we seem to be at a loss as to prevent these evils. So we place them into your hands. Lord, please hear our prayer for them. Lord, we pray that closed minds may be opened, hard hearts softened, stubborn wills broken by your Spirit. Lord, as your church, we recognise our role to be your hands in every place of need. We offer ourselves to your service in our part of the world, that we may share the grace we have received with the whole of your creation wherever there is need. Finally, Lord, we bring to you the needs of our own fellowship here. Father, some are mourning the loss of a loved one. Please comfort them. Some are afflicted by sickness of body or mind. Please heal them. Some are lonely, frightened or anxious for themselves or others. Please stand with them. And some long to be with you. Lord, please release them. Please give to, us, or give to us all hearts and minds that are sensitive to the needs of others and the will to care for them and share all that we have been blessed and received. Lord Jesus, we await your return. Meanwhile, please keep us close to you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to, come, uh, going to ask Eileen to come and share with us our scripture reading. Our reading this morning is Psalm 
this morning is taken from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women, women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Thank you, Anne. We're going to sing together, the Lord my shepherd.
please take your seats and let us pray. Our God, we want to thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that we have uh, the freedom to own them and to read them as we wish in this land. We remember that those around the world do not have such freedoms. We lift them to you. Lord, as we listen, as we ponder, as we seek to hear your voice, we ask that you would speak to us and that you would bring about your transformation by your Spirit, through your Word, in our lives. Amen. So this morning we are considering the virtue of self-control. And in our scripture passage read this morning by Eileen, we have the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, whom he describes as my true son in our common faith. And he is commanding him that he must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Just as an aside, we need sound doctrine. Unsound doctrine ruins churches, ruins communities, and ruins lives. And Paul signifies that sound doctrine involves teaching about self-control. So what is self-control? Uh, what does a self-controlled life look like? When the Greeks wanted to illustrate self-control, they built a statue of a man or a woman in perfect proportion. To them, self-control was the proper ordering and balancing of the individual. Aristotle once said, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies. For the hardest victory is the victory over self. Plato believed that our animal urges must be governed or else they will produce, and I quote, a feverish state in the soul, a city of pigs which knows no limit. In other words, when we're not self-controlled, we're making a pigsty out of our lives. The word self-control may be a, a bit misleading. Self-control is more than self-help. We've all experienced that controlling ourselves simply through our own willpower or self-determination is unattainable. Paul speaks of this battle in Romans chapter 7. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Another way, perhaps, of better understanding what self-control is, is by seeing what the absence of self-control looks like. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, uh, provides a dramatic description of the individual living without control, or living out of control. It says it this way, like a city whose walls are broken down, 
is a man who lacks self-control. Now, of course, when this proverb was written, one of the main sources of strength and protection for a city consisted in the building and maintaining of its walls. A wiped-out wall was considered a breach in security. A city with walls in disrepair was a city with a shameful reputation. That's one of the re reasons Nehemiah was so motivated to begin a building campaign in Jerusalem. Uh, we read of how those who lived in the city were in great trouble and disgrace because the wall of Jerusalem was broken down. Trouble because the enemy had openings to freely attack and plunder. Disgrace because of the shame of weakness and disorder and defeat. Jerusalem was wide open to attack and ultimate destruction. So proverbially, the man or woman who lacks self-control or self-restraint is like a city that has no effective defence. They are not able to resist those things that can come in and destroy their lives and the lives of others around them. I say this because, of course, the weakness of Jerusalem, or another city, spoke of the weakness also of the towns and villages around them. And ultimately, uh, for the nation as a whole, a person's lack of self-control not only threatens them as an individual, but also those around them, whether it be family, friends, or fellowship. When the occupants of a city, for whatever reason, neglected their safety by failing to build and maintain strong walls, they would have been looked upon as a weak and foolish people. Likewise, when we forfeit this fruit of self-control, we are not, but we are weak. We are not wise. And the Bible offers several lamentable examples of people who lived out of control, unwise lives. So many to choose from. One of the most dramatic stories, of course, is of Samson. Samson is thought of as the, the strong man, but he is clearly portrayed as a weak and weakened man. He forfeits his physical outward strength through the lack of spiritual internal strength. He is a portrait of self-destruction through lack of self-control. He was one of Israel's judges, leaders, and the Spirit of God empowered him to lead God's people for 20 years. And one of his primary tasks was to protect his people from the influence of the pagan Philistines. But his self-control deficiency, particularly in the area of sex and relationships, meant that he instead visited 
Philistine prostitutes and eventually told Delilah all about the secret of his power, his strength. See, lacking self-control, Samson soon lost his hair, his strength, his leadership and his life. King Saul was another man who had a deficit in self-control. He was so determined to destroy David out of fear and envy and jealousy that his life <coughs> spun completely out of control, leading to his demise and death. David, on the other hand, for some time demonstrated remarkable self-control when he had the opportunity to kill Saul. Instead of allowing his passions to control him and those around him to persuade him, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, David says, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Tragically, several years later, when David has opportunity to be king, his self-control goes AWOL. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and murders her husband Uriah. If you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall. And in the New Testament, we see how Paul had the privilege of presenting the gospel to Felix, a Roman governor. And he chose to emphasize, and I quote, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. We don't hear many of those sermons today. But Felix, as the scriptures can testify in history, can testify, had no self-control. He indulged in all kinds of cruelty and lust. He was open to bribes, and he committed both murder and adultery. Felix was a man of his time, perhaps a man of our time also. And Felix responded to Paul's preaching like many do today. We are told that he was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Paul's sermon on self-control was inconvenient, unwelcomed, and therefore rejected. Benjamin Franklin said, he is a governor that governs his passions. And he is a servant that serves them. Regrettably, even those like Felix who lead in our land and lead in the church are themselves governed by their fallen instincts and passions and live to serve them rather than live and serve by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Friends, I speak personally as well. We can all too easily allow our walls to be broken down and instead of displaying restraint by 
governing our desires and appetites, we acquiesce to them. We give in. We are given over to them. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And the Proverbs illustrate a number of areas, I don't have time to go into them all, where we may struggle with self-control. I'll give you a few. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Here is uncontrolled lust. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Here is uncontrolled spending. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Here is uncontrolled materialism. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Here is uncontrolled drinking. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Here is uncontrolled anger. A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Here is an uncontrolled tongue. So we know we have a problem, but is there a solution? Is it possible to display self-control in our self-centred and self-seeking culture? We need it, we want it, but it is costly. In his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul pictures self-control as like competing in athletics. He contrasts exercising control over his body with running aimlessly. In other words, he argues that athletes exercise self-control because they have a clearly defined purpose or goal. They cannot afford to be distracted by every passion or desire that comes along. They're not aimless, they are with aim. And Paul tells the Galatians that self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Surely, self-control, therefore, is the control of the self by the Spirit for the sake or for the aim of the Gospel. What looks like self-control is actually the result of letting someone else take control, that is the spirit. Self-control, biblically speaking, means walking by the spirit, living by the spirit under the lordship of Christ. Living self-controlled lives means living surrendered lives. Lives now lived for Christ. Lives lived by the Spirit. No longer lives lived for self. 
And here we come to our scripture passage today as Paul writes to Titus about <coughs> self-control in a way that gives us hope. <coughs> self-control can be taught and therefore it can be lived. <coughs> Titus didn't have an easy assignment on the island of Crete. Historians tell us that Crete was well known as the first century party destination. Paul quotes one of Crete's own uh, philosophers, uh, Epimenides, as saying, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. It's quite a description, isn't it? Temptations abounded and tripped up some of the new Christians with whom Titus worked in the Cretan congregations. These new babes in Christ had come out of a raucous world around them. No doubt each of them had friends who were still participating in the, the drunken love fests for which Crete was famous. It was not an easy place to win converts to Christ, nor was it an easy place for believers to maintain their purity and self-control in their lives. And here Paul gives numerous admonitions towards self-control to four or five groups of people. Firstly, the elders or overseers. Paul tells Titus to put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And he goes on to describe the qualifications of an elder, or rather characteristics about their lives. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. The second group of people were the older men in the congregations. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. The third group are the younger women who are to be set an example by the older women. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. The fourth group is the young men in the congregation. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And if you think you've been left out of any of those categories, Paul tells Titus, 
we could say fifthly, fifth group, all people are to be taught about self-control centred upon the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. For the grace of God, he writes, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. These final verses in chapter 2 of Titus remind us of the solution to out-of-control lives. We cannot do it on our own. We desperately need God's power and his grace. God's grace brings salvation and teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Teaches us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. The key to self-control is grace. Three things about grace. Grace redeems us. There's no way we can save ourselves. God took the initiative and brought salvation to us. Christ gave himself for us. He paid the price to buy us back than the shackles of sin. This salvation is to be received, gratefully received. I urge you, if you've not received this salvation, do so today. Don't delay. May this be the first day of your new life in Christ. Second thing about grace. Grace reforms us. See, salvation not only uh, changes our position before God, we're also given a change in attitude, appetite, ambition and action. We've been given freedom from the condemnation and dominion of sin. We are now free to obey God. We are each a work of reformation. You and I are being reformed, remoulded, re-sculpted for God's glory and goodness to be seen in our lives. Notice, though, what Paul writes, how we must now say no to some things, to ungodliness and passions, to put those behind us, to live a self-controlled life, to live a restrained, a retrained life, to alter our thinking and acting, our impulses and instincts, we are not to give in to depraved desires, but we are now called to live for a higher purpose. The flesh, the human nature, the, the, the fallen human nature cries out, feed me. Jesus cries out, follow me. Pick up your cross. Die to self and sin. Die daily and follow him. Withhold your consent from worldly ways. 
refuse the illusion that this world offers you. Temptation to sin always seems attractive. But giving in to sin leaves us worse off. And you know it. And I know it. God will grant you the way out. To take the way out. Take the exit from temptation. And you can say no to that. And you can say yes to the Spirit. Yes to life. Yes to Christ. His reforming grace allows us, enables us to say yes to God. So since we've been redeemed from this world, we don't have to be conformed to it. Rather, we are reformed by grace, now eager to do what is good. So with grace we can have self-control because we've been redeemed from the way we used to live and we've been reformed on the inside and have that power to actually change. The third thing about grace is that grace rewards us. In verse 13 in Titus chapter 2 reminds us that the return of Jesus is our own hope and glory. Instead of living for today, we live for what is to come. Instead of instant gratification, we live for long-term glory. This is how an athlete operates. You're called to a long race, a marathon race. You're called to be an athlete, an athlete to live with aim. We live to gain that heavenly, eternal reward. Not the worldly, short-term illusion of pleasure or reward. Don't be worldly, don't, don't be worldly orientated pleasure seekers who live only for this life and for what it offers, the trinkets. But be heavenly minded treasure seekers living for Jesus, the greatest treasure. <coughs> Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, writes this. Our ordinary method of dealing with ingrained sin is to launch a frontal attack. We rely on our willpower and determination. Whatever may be the issue for us, anger, fear, bitterness, <coughs> gluttony, pride, lust, substance abuse, we determine never to do it again. We pray against it, fight against it, and set our will against it. But the struggle is all in vain. And we find ourselves once again morally bankrupt. Let's be honest. Our multitude of moods, passions and desires all need managing. They must be brought under control or they will end up controlling us. Lewis Smead says that self-control is like the conductor of a symphony orchestra. Under the conductor's baton, the multitude of talented musicians can play the right notes at the right time and the right volume so that everything sounds just right. Likewise, our appetites and longings have their proper place. Self-control is the Holy Spirit's baton 
in our hearts, under whose skilful direction everything stays in its proper place and comes in just the right time. To be self-controlled is to be spirit-controlled. Let's face it, there's no way that we can develop self-control on our own to bring it about. That's why it is a fruit that we, that the Spirit brings about and flows in our lives. The Christians on Crete, they faced an uphill struggle. And for us, in our time, in our society, there is much to pull us back into unrestrained living. The good news is, we don't have to give in to them. We don't have to give in to our fallen desires as we submit and surrender to the Spirit's control we can be uh, those who experience freedom and power. As Paul writes to the Galatians, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So let us allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and the Word of God to nourish us on a daily basis. Amen. We're going to spend a moment in prayer just before we sing our final hymn. Let us pray. Patient Father, you are slow to anger and abounding in love. Help us to be like you. May your peace fill our longing hearts. May your healing fill our hurting hearts. May your gentleness shape our responses to the circumstances we find ourselves in. May your kindness shape our responses to the people we encounter, those we know, those we don't know, those we like, those we wrestle with. Help us in our anger to seek justice together with compassion, righteousness together with grace and mercy. Make our desires be for goodness, holiness and truth. Remind us daily that self-control is a gift, a fruit. And may we excel at such things. Help us to regulate our responses and impulses today and in the coming days by being fully reliant Submissive to you. Amen. So we're going to sing our final hymn. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. We face many tests, trials, temptations in this world and in this life. And yet our God is able to guide and provide.
prayer before we say the grace together. Lord, in your mercy, in a world filled with goodness and evil, pleasure and leisure, desires and temptations, grant us the fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in our daily lives. Enable us to make every effort to add to our faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Amen. Amen. Say the words of the grace to one another. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.